Hello and welcome to Eldritch Girl Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense with me, C.M. Rosens. We're going to be continuing the serialisation of my first published novel, The Crows. Content warnings are to follow. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmill. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. You can buy the books either direct from me from my Kofi shop, uh, or you can buy them from any ebook online retailer and the paperback currently from Amazon only. If you do want to buy me a coffee instead of buying the book, you can do that via my Kofi, which is www.kofi.com, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Content warnings for chapter four. Um, this one is more or less okay. It has exactly the same stuff as uh, the other three chapters. Um, this one has a slightly saucy dream, <laughs> if you need. Um, so, but there's no, no actual sex. So it's not an explicit dream. If you're a sex of us, it's probably safe. But I don't know. But be aware that that's right at the end. Chapter 4. The Grand Dame, in which Beverly returns the green man and Carrie gets suspicious. 19th of April. Carrie decided against mentioning Beverly Wen's invitation to Mercy. Mercy seemed kind, frank and earnest, everything Becky and Jess had been. Carrie had already made that mistake once. Besides, although Mercy's advice had been sincerely meant, every town had its scapegoats, every community had that family. As an outsider, as much as she hated that designation, Carrie could approach people with an open mind. At least, that's what she spent the day telling herself, avoiding the obvious not in this line of thinking. Maybe Mercy was exactly what she seemed, and Carrie should stop projecting. After work, armed with her Maps app that seemed to know how to get to Seaview Road without sending her over a cliff, she made it to Beverly Wen's cottage on time and without mishap. She took this as a good omen. Set back from the road in the last crook of trees crowding the lanes, Wonderwick was not the fairy tale dwelling Carrie had imagined. It was a smart, two-storey detached house of dressed stone, matching curtains at all the lower windows and blinds upstairs. Carrie smirked at her own misgivings. The garden gate looked new, but the scream of its protesting hinges made her wince as she pushed it open. Beverly Wend opened the front door before she was halfway up the path, looking like a model from a style for the over-sixties catalogue. A ginger tomcat stalked out from under her long, high-waisted skirt, bottle-brush tail held high. He looked at Carrie with imperious disdain and streaked up the apple tree to leap onto the roof. That's Toffee, the little devil, Mrs Wen said as Carrie approached. Carrie wasn't a cat person, but she tried. That's a cute name. He's lovely. Mrs Wen snorted. Don't let him fool you. It's short for Mephistopheles. She beckoned her in. Come in, dear, I've put the kettle on. Sheila Asman's warning punched its way into Carrie's mind. Don't drink the tea. Thank you. Carrie said, wondering if she could take it seriously. Wonderwick, that's an interesting name. Mrs Wend followed her gaze to the sign on the wall. Old English with a little poetic licence. Roughly, it means wonder house. Everyone needs a little bit of wonder in their lives, don't they? She gave Carrie a smile. 
Come in, I've got a casserole in the oven. Could I get a glass of water, please? Mrs Wend patted her arm, squeezing a little unnecessarily, and led her inside. Of course, this way. Mrs Wen's living room was a gallery of amateur portraits and photographs. There were oils and watercolours of adults and children of various ages, all bearing some family resemblance, the nose, the cheekbones or the shape of the eyes. The framed photographs showed how closely the sitters had been captured. One old photograph caught Carrie's attention. It was of a young, pale girl in a dark dress, straw boater set winsomely on her tight ringlets, standing by a rosebush. She was staring up at the camera with a hooded expression, a twisted smile of secret knowledge on her face. There was something malevolent about it that sent a chill up Carrie's spine. That's me before I became Mrs Wend, Mrs Wend said, peering over Carrie's shoulder and making her jump. Beverly Pendle I was then. I couldn't be more than, oh, 18 there. These are my sisters. She pointed out a portrait of two girls, clearly an amateur's early attempt, but showing promise in the passages of paint. The perspective was a little off, but they told a story of a quiet girl with sad eyes and a proud younger girl with a strong jaw. It was the swirling background that made Carrie uneasy, as if the painter had been trying to capture something they couldn't quite see, something reaching for the girls with writhing pale green coils. Did you paint these? Carrie asked, looking around again. They're really good. Oh, thank you, yes, I just do it for fun, you know. Her hostess moved closer to the big portrait of the two girls. This is Olive, Mrs Wen said, Olive in the middle, and Eileen, the youngest, got away with everything, did our Eileen. She sniffed. Make yourself at home, I'll get you a glass of water. Carrie looked around, left temporarily alone. Pendle, like the gamekeeper, the family connected to the girl's murder. Her kitchen chimney was literally built out of the old stones of the Pendle cottage. What a strange coincidence. Carrie looked around. The furniture seemed to be relics of multiple eras, none of which matched. A chaise long by the window was heaped high with sewing boxes, rolls of material and a reclining dressmaker's dummy. Two armchairs, one faded oxblood red, the other smoker's beige, were positioned by the fireplace. An antique coffee table had been partially cleared of ladies' magazines, crossword puzzle books and old copies of the Pagamon Sea Gazette. A prickling on the back of her neck made her look at the mantelpiece. A terracotta tile was propped against the wall with a green man face painted on it, the open eyes peering at her through the glazed leaves. It felt familiar. She crossed to the fireplace to get a closer look. It was warm in her hand, shiny and smooth, and as she turned it over she saw the marks on its edges where someone had chiselled it out of its place. It reminded her of the tiles around the fireplace in the living room of the crows. Some had been missing so she'd had to replace them. This one looked the right size, the right fit. She pressed her thumb against the glaze, stroking the leafy motif. Here you are, dear. Mrs Wend re-entered, interrupting Carrie's curious contemplation of the tile. Carrie put it back and took the glass with a grateful smile. Her stomach growled. Beverly smiled. Would you like some casserole? No one warned me against the casserole. Um, yes, please, that would be lovely. Mrs Wend nodded. She looked Carrie over with a shrewd, calculating expression. You know, she said, staring right through her, 
Most people looked at that old place, ruined and alone, so isolated, damaged, and they thought dreadful things have happened there. And they'd be right. Best to leave it be, let it decay. But not you, no. Not Caroline Rickard. Carrie's skin prickled. She sipped the water to mask her nerves. Mrs Wend gave a short chuckle. Oh, don't mind me. I like to get to know people. It's what they do that interests me, you know. You can learn a lot about a person by watching what they do. What is it that you do, Beverly? Ask her. The question left Carrie's lips without going via her brain, and she only realised she said it out loud by the changing expression on her hostess's face. Mrs Wen blinked. Pardon? I mean, I'm sorry, I don't know why I... The green man drew Carrie's attention again, prickles spreading over her face. It was looking right at her, mouth agape in the glazed wreath of leaves. She thought fast, recovering. I mean, what did your family do? Used to do. I heard the Pendles were gamekeepers for the Fairwood estate. Mrs Wend frowned, her accent slipping into a broader, older form. Oh, the Pendles were... Yes, that's true. She caught herself and the slight affectation returned. Then Sir James knocked down their home for his extension. Carrie pursed her lips. Oh, don't look like that, it won't you. Mrs Wend cast an eye around the living room, swooping it suspiciously as if scanning for spies. Would you like to know more? Absolutely, if you don't mind. Carrie's glee must have shown, because Mrs Wend took a step back, appraising her. You really love it, don't you? she murmured. Your face. It lights up when you talk about it, like it's your best friend in the whole world. She gestured at the tile on the mantelpiece. You can take that. One of the local boys gave that to me years ago. I can barely dust it, allergic to the glaze or something, I think. It's yours. Thanks. Carrie picked it up again, warm and smooth. The green man smiled back at her, happy with this state of affairs. Caroline, dear, Mrs Wen began, folding her arms. Now forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but I can see you're not happy. You seem under a lot of stress. And you're a curious person by nature, I think. Please ask me anything you like, and if you need something, well, I'd be happy to help if you wouldn't mind helping me out now and again. She waved at the coffee table. It's a bit crowded in here. Let's eat in the kitchen. Carrie nodded, her stomach grumbling against her suspicions. Thank you. She sipped the tile into her pocket, following her host. Mrs Wend guided her down the hallway into a kitchen filled with mismatched pans and hanging herbs, a large kitchen table in the middle that reminded her of the crows. A few places were set and a casserole was bubbling fragrantly on the oven top, fresh out of the oven. Carrie's stomach flip-flopped at the smell. She sat, scraping up a chair. She saw a handmade wind chime above the back door, a protection pentangle of twigs, small shells dangling from silken threads. Are you pagan, Mrs Wend? Beverly. Sorry, do I mean Wiccan? She flushed, but her hostess didn't mind. Oh, goodness, no. Beverly Wend laughed. No, I'm a bit beyond all that now. Not that I say anything against it, of course. Little Tina Harris, friend of Wesley's. He's my Charlotte's oldest boy. She works at the morgue, you know, and not so little anymore. She's your age, I'd say, or our Wesley's age, somewhere around there. They grow up, don't they? Yes, I think Eglantine is something like that, though I've not really asked. Eat up, dear, your skin and bone. There's plenty. Thinking back to Mercy's welcome to super price pub dinner made Carrie realise she hadn't had a decent hot meal since the Red Ram. The casserole burnt her tongue and throat on the way down, but it was worth it. The meat melted in her mouth. 
This is amazing, thank you, she managed, swallowing. Beverly brushed the compliment aside. I noticed at the meeting yesterday you had questions about your house, she continued, finally taking a bit of a bite of casserole and talking with her mouthful. You seem put out that no one wanted you to ask them. Carrie fidgeted. I didn't want to seem rude, pup, but you lot bloody were. Beverly smiled at her sullen scowl. Your house is full of secrets. Old ones. I can't tell you very much, except that it used to be a monastery, founded in the 11th century, I think. Quite poor it was, never received many donations. By the Reformation, Henry VIII and his wives, you know, they only supported four monks. 13th century stone the crypt is supposed to be, and the king's men tore the rest down. The Sauvants were about five miles away then. They were given the land and built their new manor on top of it. She paused, eyes raised to the ceiling, thinking, what else? Well, there's a smuggler's tunnel, but I suppose you know that already, going into the cellars on the other side of the crypt, and it's supposed to connect to the old priest hole somewhere near the grand staircase. Well, that's Elizabethan. And the E-shaped building went out of fashion, and they turned it into a square, and that was when Sir James decided to do a lot of remodelling and pulled down the old Pendle cottage and built the new one. I suppose you want to know more about the Pendles and their cottage, is that it? There was a strange tension in the older woman now. Mrs Wen's eyes were cold, with a dark red gleam that was surely just Carrie's imagination. The brown of Beverly's eyes had a reflective sheen that must come from somewhere, Carrie reasoned, but there was nothing that would make chestnut shine like ruby. Beverly's smile was colder. Suppose you tell me what you already know. Then I won't be boring you. Carrie blinked, putting her fork down. Well, I know it's an origin story for the curse. Mr Pendle is supposed to have cursed the Sauvants when his cottage was pulled down. That's all I've really heard. I noticed the hearthstone in the kitchen has the letter P carved into it. I assume it was theirs. At the mention of the hearthstone, the tension increased. Mrs Wend went deathly still, rigid in her seat. Carrie swallowed. Were they gamekeepers for a long time? Her hostess gave her a pinched nod, relaxing slowly into nonchalance. Oh, four or five generations, yes. Bramble Cottage was built for us and was signed over to us eventually when the Sauvants lost all their woodland and farmland. Crippled by death duties, they was. She seemed to be waiting for something else, reading Carrie's face in case she missed something written there. My father, he was a pendle. She smiled, but the corners of her eyes didn't crinkle. My sisters and I loved those woods. We played there all the time, me, Olive and Eileen. It was where we grew, where we fell in love. That smile should have had fondness in it at least, but instead it sent a chill through Carrie that cut her to the core. The red sheen seemed to glow darker. I married Mr Wend, of course. Couldn't have babies out of wedlock, not back then. She sniffed, pausing, suddenly sly. Our Letitia and George have it now, Bramble Cottage, I mean. Their son, Ricky, he's a good boy, really, and such a good-looking boy, I think, if he looked after himself a bit better. But he has his little schemes. Not the best influence on people. I wouldn't call him a catch, I'm afraid. I do try with him, but... She shrugged sadly. Carrie sensed she was being warned off and wrenched the conversation in another direction. Mrs Wend, what about the girl? The girl in the chimney? That poor lamb? Oh, yes, terrible, 
terrible thing. Mrs Wen shook her head. I don't know much about that. Nobody does. Carrie resisted the urge to play with her necklace and dropped her hands to her lap. She licked her lips, watching those unsettling eyes. Why was she up the chimney? It's bizarre. If you were trying to hide a body, surely it would take more effort to... She stopped. Unless that was the point. The chimney was important. I can't imagine how, Mrs Wen demurred. I heard she'd been drained of blood, Carrie said, wondering what she'd gotten herself into. Yes, well, people say all sorts of things. Carrie's eyes watered as she realised she had asked the wrong question at the start. It slipped out before she could stop herself. What did you do, Mrs Wend? Beverly Wend's lips twisted in a flicker of her youthful malevolence. I just helped people, dear. That's all I've ever tried to do. I'm sorry, Carrie couldn't shake the uneasy feeling. It's just um, a bit of a coincidence. I'm just wondering... I've got this weird feeling, she stopped. I'm going to shut up now. Before you accuse anyone of murder, Mrs Wen chuckled. Probably wise, dear. It's not haunted, is it? Carrie asked abruptly. Mrs Wen gave a thin little shrug. Old houses have personalities of their own, she said. So full of memories and energies that there's no room left for spirit sometimes. She gave Carrie a sweet, pearly smile, her gaze flicking over the green and white shop uniform. You'll see that for yourself, I've no doubt, if you can even afford to keep the place, of course. What will you do if you can't find a better job? Carrie blinked at the change of pace. I... what do you mean? Well... Beverly's shadow loomed over the table as if it had a life of its own. Minimum wage isn't enough to run that place, is it? It's barely enough to live on, never mind the heating bills in the winter, the electricity. How are you going to manage... Carrie thought about the application she'd sent off to no avail. She might as well have thrown her CV into an abyss. I'll manage. It's only temporary. There's other places, dear. Now you've renovated, you could always move on. Get the Heritage Lot to take it over. Or the History Society here. We have good connections. If you ever did need to move away for work or for your health or your family, we'd be happy to help you out. The green mantile secreted in her pocket pressed itself firmly against her thigh. It came to her less as an assertion and more as a burst of emotion, something hot and angry balling itself up in her stomach. No! Mrs Wen blinked. No? No Pendle is setting foot in my house! Carrie barely recognised her own voice, it was so guttural, so cold. The words scraped against her tonsils, sharp-edged and hard as brick. She clapped her hand to her mouth, but it was too late. Too stunned to even say sorry, she stared at the older woman in mute horror, fingers clamped to her lips. Mrs Wen didn't react as if she had said anything out of the ordinary. Rather, she sat back in her chair with something akin to satisfaction, as if she had found something out. Ruby glinted in her eyes. Only a suggestion, dear, she murmured, studying Carrie, as if she were reading the inside of her skull. The garden gate screeched and two teenage girls burst in through the front door. Gran, are you in? The first girl was tall and slim with straight brown hair and the same sulky cast to the face that Carrie had noticed in the family portraits. Kitchen! The other girl, jogging in behind her, waved at Carrie with some surprise. It was Rachel from the supermarket. 
Oh, hello. I didn't know you knew Katie's gran. Carrie exhaled in a rush and stood up, nearly knocking her chair over. Oh, hi. I'm just going, actually. This is Katie, Rachel said, threading her arm through the first girls. Katie, this is Caroline. She's the lady who bought the crows. Katie gave her a nod. Hi. Her attention was short-lived. Gran, is there anything to eat? I'm starving. Isn't your mother feeding you? Katie shrugged. Carrie took the opportunity to make her escape. I'll be going, Mrs. Wend. Beverly. She'd almost forgotten about the green man until it knocked against her hip as she took a step forward. She made it into the hall, peering back into the kitchen. But you've not long arrived. Mrs. Wend nudged past the two girls, making Carrie back off to the door. Thanks so much for dinner, but I need to get back. Carrie covered her pocket with her hand. Can we do this again? She had no intention of ever going back to Wonderwick, but instinct told her to keep things calm and casual. Mollified, Mrs. Wend frowned. Well, of course, but Carrie edged to the door. Lovely to meet you, Katie. Nice to see you again, Rachel. Um, Beverly, I'll see you next Wednesday at the Society, I guess. We'll sort out tea again, OK? Thanks. Sorry. Bye. Katie gave her a polite smile. Nice to meet you. You too. Carrie managed to leave the cottage, heaving a sigh of relief as the front door closed on her. It was getting dark. Carrie couldn't shake the feeling of being watched the whole way back, although there was no one around and Redditch Lane was deserted. She kept looking over her shoulder for traffic or cyclists or any other living soul, but only the bus passed her, half empty. Red brake lights flashed as it slowed but didn't stop. Carrie tried not to think of them as glowing eyes. A prickle on the nape of her neck made her turn and stare over the fence into a field. It was deserted, the cropped grass stirred by the breeze. People disappeared on this road, the locals said. Cars and all, gone. Carrie shivered, clutching her keys in one hand. She pushed the sharp edges between her fingers and made a tight, hard fist. The breeze died, the grass was still. She carried on walking, following the distant glow of the bus's lights as it trundled through the chase up ahead. The great wrought iron gates of Fairwood greeted her as she cleared the field and came to the high stone wall ringing her property, twisted metal birds in the arched tops aping the real crows coming home to roost. Carrie pushed the gate and set off up the gravel driveway, the sense of an invisible watcher disappearing with the beating of strong black wings. The house had an expectant air about it. As soon as the front door swung shut behind her, she knew she was safe. The ominous feeling left her. The hall enveloped her in the smell of dry wood and dusty tiles like an invisible embrace, drawing her into the living room. The green man was warm to the touch when she pulled it from her pocket and placed it on her own mantelpiece. The ceiling beam settled above her in a long, contented creak, the chandelier swaying in a draught Carrie couldn't feel. I was right, Carrie mused, looking at the painted tile, its eyes softer, mouth agape in a slight smile. You do belong here. You belong here. The thought slid into her mind like an echo, fatigue washing through every joint and muscle. She dismissed it as a product of her own exhaustion. I'm so tired, she whispered to it, overwhelmed by a yawn. Sleep. The tile smiled at her. 
Footsore, she clicked off the light and trudged up the stairs, trailing weary fingers up the smooth banister rail. There was too much to think about. What was going on with the Pendles? What was wrong with the town? Carrie fell into bed without eating anything else, her alarm set for the morning, and was asleep before ten o'clock. In her dream, she was standing in the attics all alone. The part she was standing in was kitted out like a Victorian study complete with a fireplace, the living room fireplace, that shouldn't be up there. Book spines of hunter green and dusky blue filled the shelves, and on the desk was a music box and a posed taxidermy cat wearing a child's waistcoat and little leather boots. It was Toffee. Someone had sewn antlers on his head, too big for the little skull. His forepaws had been replaced with the tiny hands of a human child. He was posed above the box as if pouncing on it or trying to keep the lid closed. Carrie moved the box away from those creepy little cat fingers and taxidermy Toffee morowled angrily and toppled over. She leaned into the cold fireplace with her hands on the mantel, waiting. He was behind her, it was impossible to fix him in her mind, but there was a new presence in the room that had not been there before. She never heard him enter, but he always came. She was wearing some kind of old-fashioned beige garment with buttons down the front. The buttons sprang open, but she couldn't see his hands. His heat warmed her, reassuringly real as sun-warmed bricks and copper piping, but she only felt his touch when she closed her eyes. His hand was smooth as the banisters down the stairs, like polished wood gliding over her skin. The invisible cheek against hers was rough like unfinished stone, gritty as granite. He smelled like a library in summer, with undertones of a loamy, overgrown garden filled with night blossoms and flowering weeds. She knew that smell. "'Mine,' he whispered in her ear, in a deeper register of her own voice, guttural sharp the way it had sounded in Mrs. Wen's cottage. Carrie closed her eyes, pressing into him, feeling him there as fragile as a pane of glass. She wanted him badly, an ache of longing glowing through her thighs, but as she pushed herself back against him, he crumbled into plaster dust and chimney soot, leaving her alone in a cloud of chalky air. Thanks for listening to this chapter of The Crows. Um, the tune was by Gemma Cartmill. Illustrations in the ebook and paperback are by Tom Brown. If you want to read ahead, um, do buy the book. <laughs> you can buy it from my Kofi shop or my website directly, or you can buy it from Amazon. Um, the paperback you can get from Amazon. There are two extra illustrations in the paperback compared with the ebook. And you can also buy the ebook from all available online platforms. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. Um, I'm at Twitter at CM Rosens. Um, so, yeah, get in touch. Um, hopefully you're enjoying it. And don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> See you next week.